This podcast contains swearing, drinking, lame dad jokes, descriptions of gross body problems, and lots of history. Consider yourself warned. Life hack: How to fake your own death and escape captivity. Welcome to Monarchs and Malarkey, the podcast that takes an alcohol-laden dive into the weird and quirky health histories and deaths of leaders throughout time. I'm your host, Danielle. I'm your co-host, Mike. And... (laughs) Hear ye, hear ye, we have a special announcement to make. Hi! Amanda is now a permanent part of the show! Hooray! The peasants rejoice. Yay! I have been chosen. Yes, I have. Uh, apparently, I did a pretty good job the couple times I was here before, and I like doing it so much that I'm gonna be here always, forever and ever, ever and ever. <laughs> um, uh, you might wonder why a chef would be on a show about history, but I'll be giving you guys interesting, cool, usually disgusting insights into food and lifestyle of the times. Of the monarchs we're talking about. I mean, there wouldn't be history without food. I'm just saying. And so, really gross shit. Yeah, you're kind of important. And with that, let's talk a little bit about who we're talking about tonight. And Amanda will get us started. So we are talking tonight about a very, very amazing, kick-ass, bad bitch woman, Empress Matilda, also known as Empress Maud. And she was so cool. I am so excited that we're going to be exploring her life tonight. We are drinking in honor of her, Samuel Smith's Imperial Stout, because she was an empress. And Michael is drinking a German beer, but I don't know what it's called because he got rid of the bottle. So German beer and Imperial Stout from Samuel Smith's. And that is what we are drinking. And that is whom we are talking about. So Amanda, why don't you tell us a little bit about Maud's time period? So... One of the interesting things about food in, in medieval times is that it didn't change much in, like, a few hundred years. Diets were pretty regular and the same, and they ate the same foods. They occasionally got new exotic foods from other countries, but for the most part, it was really boring. They ate a lot of the same foods over and over again. So I wanted to focus a little bit, because as we'll learn more about Empress Matilda's history, she had a very lavish first wedding. She was not very old <laughs> at the time, but she had this extremely lavish wedding, and part of the really extremely lavish weddings of the nobility or royal families at the time was that they had these huge, giant, ridiculous banquets. And this was her first wedding, right? To this Henry V? This was her fifth? first wedding to okay. Henry. Not Henry V from England, y'all. We're way before that. Oh yeah, this is way before. This is in the early 1100s. I just want to talk about the food that they would eat at these banquets because it was ridiculous. I don't know how much you guys know about food eaten at banquets at this time. I had a public education, so none. <laughs> I took anthropology of food courses, so probably more than most people. One of the things that really showed the difference between nobility and peasants, because there really wasn't much in between. There was like nobility, royalty, peasants. The difference between nobility and peasants with food really had come down to meat and fruits. Peasants mostly just ate grains, like porridge and nasty crap like that. 
occasionally vegetables, but the big thing for nobility and royalty was meat. And they liked really exotic meat. Mm -hmm. So a couple of the meats that were known to have been eaten at her first wedding were things like peacock, seals. What does a peacock even taste like? Tastes like I know. Tastes like fancy posh chicken. I know that the meat is purple. It's like such red meat that it's purple. Purple? Yeah. It's like duck meat, but like purple. Duck's pretty good. I've had duck. I've never eaten it, but peacock. Seal was really prevalent. They also ate porpoises. Oh, I know. I know. Every time I think about that, I'm like, no. And a delicacy was whale. Yeah. And it's believed that they did have whale at her wedding. Yeah, but wouldn't one whale feed, like, an entire kingdom? Well, whales come in a lot of different sizes. It depends on the whale. Yeah. That's fair. And they also were really heavily laden in spices. They loved exotic spices. Yeah, because they were is... expensive. They were from other countries. Yeah, the crusades have been going on for a while. And, yeah, yeah they're going in. So They also really liked sugar. So the mm-hmm. foods were more about the price tag. Oh, it was oh, all yeah. and, about the and price, price tag. tag was about how easy was it to get this food. So if we're talking spices and sugars from the Middle East and Africa. Oh, yeah. Sugar yeah. and honey were really prevalent. They really liked sweet food. Apparently sugar and honey was such a commodity that even their savory dishes were usually cooked in sugars with fruit and stuff like that. So they, everything yep. they ate was probably really sweet. They also really like to show off by making things colorful. There's records of them talking about making things like custard pies and stuff that were dyed colors. They would have like purple ones and blue ones and red ones and whatever. And it was just a way to show off. Everything was about showing off their wealth, their prosperity, and that they could afford this and you couldn't neener, neener, neener. Yep. They also had a huge importance. We talked about this a couple episodes ago on alcohol. I mean, everyone ate alcohol at that time. Peasants and royalty alike. Peasants, it was usually ale, beers, commoner, I guess. Cider. Uh, ciders. Whereas royalty, nobility, it was wine and things like that. That was very fancy. Did and they have a lot of what we consider hard alcohols? They didn't. There's not a lot of record of things like vodka, tequila level stuff. No, it was, it no, was usually it was, ciders, beers, yeah, wine. So stuff like that, the beer family... And this includes mead. Mead was a big drink, too, especially up north. Um, It was a safe beverage. Oh, yeah. The alcohol in it was something that would kill bacteria, so it was much safer to drink than drinking water. But it's actually much easier to make things like beer and wine and stout and cider than it is to make hard alcohols. And it's faster. It's a lot faster. It's faster than making hard alcohols. A difference between a few months and sometimes several years. Because, I mean, think about how much they would drink alcohol as a regular drink. I mean, how much during the day do you drink water, soda, whatever? Think about if constantly, every time you had a drink, it was alcohol. Yeah, think of it, it was, was wine. It was it was beer. It was cider. <laughs> it was whiskey every time or something. Like literally, that is what they lived off of. They really didn't drink water. So everyone was wasted, like all the time. No, but that's the no. thing. These were not high alcohol. Well, and you, you're gonna build a tolerance. I mean, these people are drinking wine since they're four, three. You're gonna build a pretty damn good tolerance to alcohol. Yeah, if you're drinking al- this from the time you're alcohol baby. in in Europe historically has been very different than alcohol here, and. Just to give a little bit of context, we didn't even have whiskey being seen in places like Scotland, which is known for their whiskey, till the end of the 15th century. So yeah, it's Mm -hmm. mostly just the beers and wines at this point. The other interesting thing was this was something that they did with most of their meals, but was very important when they did banquets. 
which kind of leads to what we do nowadays where you have courses. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have your appetizers, your entree, your dessert. That actually started, for the most part, from what they can tell, in early medieval times. They did it because we, again, talked a couple episodes back about humors, mm-hmm. about importance of different foods, how they're healthy for you. They believed you had to eat in a certain order for the healthiest. So usually you would open your meal or open your stomach with something very light like fruits. You would then proceed to eat your vegetables and then your heavy meats and cheeses. They didn't really have a lot of dessert type stuff in the early medieval times, especially the times of Matilda. Because probably because their food was so sweet because they loved right, sugars yeah. and honeys. And the idea of a thing. separate dessert wasn't really a thing. Not but even custards weren't even really considered a dessert necessarily. No, the custard pies were considered a savory thing. Right. It's probably more like a quiche or something we think of today. Yep. But it was a show and these would last for hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, these banquets could last a day easily. And these went quite late from what I remember. They, they, they would, would be they feasting go, very late into the night. They would, which was actually greatly looked down upon by the Roman church, Catholic church at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, eating late into the day was considered a bad thing to do. It was a, a sinner only eats after nightfall kind of thing. It was one of those things where a big banquet like this for their wedding, for Empress Matilda's wedding, would have probably lasted at least a day or two. Would have been ridiculously huge, ridiculously colorful, and you would have probably eaten some really freaky weird foods. Or at least things that we would consider weird now, but for the time, was not any different than having hamburgers and fries. Mm. I'd try peacock. With a milkshake. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I know you would, honey. You would try anything. But yeah, Good so luck. that's kind of just a small insight into a little bit of the world of medieval times. Thank you, Amanda. You're it's so really welcome. cool. I'm going to have to start cooking some of these foods. I've been into one that we're going to talk about next episode, actually, a lot lately. But That's one of the things I want to start experimenting with is if I'm, I can find recipes and then make them and bring them in for us to try. Yeah, that'd be super cool. And then if even if they're nasty as hell, <laughs> the recipes up so people at home can try them. Yes, that'd be cool. Where are we going to find some peacock, though? I don't think we could get peacock, necessarily. I don't think that would even be legal. You don't think we the, could zoo go to the zoo would let us... Yeah, let's go up to the zoo. Just catch a peacock? Yeah. Just take okay. it home? Well, we can do porpoises. That'll make Danielle cry. <gasps> we'll do porpoises. We just won't tell her. Don't. No. <laughs> no. I will divorce if you. If we go up to Alaska, we could get some whale blubber. Or but, some seals. Yeah. Are they in Alaska? Oh my gosh. Seals? Yeah. They're in Alaska. Yeah. 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 And they, they make like whale ice cream up there. Whale mm-hmm. ice cream? Yeah. They, they use like whale fat and stuff. And they mm-hmm. make it, they call it ice cream, but it's like this gross thing of like raw fish with whale fat that they freeze and they eat. Gross to us, but when you think when you think about people needing to survive on whatever they can, it's actually a really pretty smart. Isn't blubber like incredibly high in calories? Yeah, yeah. that's that's one of the main purposes of eating it that way. So, but anyway, <laughs> one day we'll try whale ice cream. No. No, I'm you not. Will try whale ice cream. I will try whale ice cream. Yeah, you I go will for watch. it. <laughs> it's fine for people who are used to it, but the texture I think would make me pretty sick. So, we now interrupt this podcast to bring you a very important announcement from another podcast. How do you feel about witches? How about aliens? Or maybe some messed up government experiments? If you have a fascination with the weird, wild, wacky, or just downright what the. F- things that go on in this world of ours then you've come to the right place join us on tuesdays when we discuss all of this and more on the w files podcast 
To listen and find out more, you can pop on over to our website at wfilespodcast.com. Adieu, W crew. All right, cool. Empress Matilda. All right, yeah. Michael, tell us a bit about Empress Matilda and be prepared for lots of interruptions because we women are really excited we're talking about a woman. Finally. Finally. I'm excited about Empress Matilda, too. I didn't know a whole lot about her, but she did a lot of really cool shit. She was so rad. I'm so excited about this. So Matilda, also known as Maud, was born in 1102 in London. She was the only daughter of Henry I and Queen Matilda of Scotland. In 1109, Henry V sent royal envoys to Henry I to arrange a marriage between the two parties. Just uh, a reminder, folks, this is Henry V of Germany. Yes, of the Holy Roman Empire. Well, he wasn't yet. He was the German king at the time, but he'll become Holy Roman Emperor, which is why Maud's technically an empress. But continue. So she left England in 1110, and in 1114, she was married. At the time, she was 12, and Henry was about 28. Yeah, this is why I mentioned when they got married earlier that she was a little young. Yeah. Yeah. Gross. People always want to be like, oh, but that was normal for that time. Only in royal and noble families. This was not normal amongst the peasant population. Right. And the merchant population. So just to be clear, this has never been normal for society in general in European peoples. These marriages were never really about, oh, hey, I love you no. and I have strong feelings about you. It's oh, no, it was all political. political. Yep. Women were pawns. Political turmoil broke out in Europe shortly after the Union. Henry V arrested his Chancellor Aldebert and some other German princes. By 1116, Matilda was fully involved in running the imperial government. So she's 14 at this time, and she's already doing things like sponsoring royal grants, dealing with petitioners, taking part in ceremonial occasions. Like, she was already being embedded in the government and becoming very important to how things were run. And she was really smart. She was really sharp. In fact, she was so sharp... People didn't like her. They thought that she was basically too uppity for a woman. How dare she know things? How dare she be intelligent and really good at political maneuverings? Yeah, how dare she be good at her job? How dare she have an attitude? The couple produced no children together. Neither party was considered infertile, but some critics have cited Henry's sins against the church as the reason that they were not able to conceive. Which is kind of funny that he was considered to be evil because he then became Holy Roman Emperor, which Holy Roman Emperor is, I don't know a whole lot about it. I can't give a whole lot of detail right now, but it's Holy Roman Emperor because he's kind of the main dude over several different countries and kingdoms at the behest of the Pope. Who honestly at the time had... Just about as much control as the king because more, you more, didn't want to yeah. you didn't want to mess with the pope, right? No. I just think it's kind of funny they thought he was a sinner and yet he was the Holy Roman Emperor. But Henry died in 1125, and he left his wife the imperial insignia and thus control of the entire empire. Archbishop Aldebert convinced Matilda to give him the insignia instead. And he led a new electoral process, which appointed Lothair of Suffenberg as the new king. 
after her brother's death, Matilda was pulled back from Germany at the age of 23. At this point, she could either remarry or become a nun. Instead of choosing either of those, she left Germany and went back to England. Yeah! Fuck the patriarchy! Woo! Well, except. Well, except. But. Unfortunately. She did what she wanted to do, which is Yeah. She said, I don't care what your choices are. I'm just going to do whatever the hell I want. I'm not going to remarry. I don't want to become a nun. Instead, I'm going to go to England where I'm going to be important again. (laughs) So she left her estates, her collection of jewels, two of Henry Crown's, and the relic, the Hand of St. James the Apostle. (laughs) I don't know why she left those, but she did. Those saints really got around, man. (laughs) Yeah, they did. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there are only two of those out there. <laughs> only two of the hands or two of the saints? Two, two of, the of the hands. Someone's got a foot. Someone else has another foot. This guy's got an elbow. This guy has a thigh. <laughs> this is the... Put them probably... together what have you got? No. <laughs> this is the cheekbone mm-hmm. of St. John the Baptist. The zygomatic. This is the zygomatic. Yes. <laughs> See, and I'm the one who's sitting here going, thinking, this is the penis. <laughs> I can guarantee you there is a cathedral out there that has a saint's penis. I can guarantee well, you. Well, if they've got the saint's whole dead body. You know what? I'm going to look that up. Continue, honey. I'm going to keep I'm going to look that up. We're going to see what churches has a saint's penis. Stay tuned. <laughs> so, Matilda was named Henry the 1st heir. As explained in our last episode, Henry's son died and he named Matilda as his heir in 1126. But the barons of England eventually wouldn't accept her as, as a woman ruler. At first they did, Fuck but those guys. then they changed their minds. Her father arranged a marriage between her and the Count of Anjou, Geoffrey Plantagenet. Ooh, and I looked up some information about the Plantagenet, what yes. that is. Because Plantagenet was not his last name. It was Angevin. And a plantagenet is a type of flower known as broom flower or plantagenista, plantagenet, plantagenista. And that's when you see the shields with the insignia on it for that time period. And mm-hmm. there are things on there I used to think was some sort of warped fleur de lis. It's actually supposed to represent the plantagenet, the broom flower. They're a really pretty yellow flower. Interesting. Yeah, I learned something new today. The I'm still looking. You know. no. I'm still looking for. Oh, 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 oh! Did you find a, a saintly penis? A holy foreskin, and it's currently missing. <laughs> of course, it's missing. Why wouldn't it be missing? This says that as many as 18 different churches have claimed that they have the foreskin from the infant Jesus when he got circumcised. Oh, it's not just a saint's foreskin. It's it is Jesus's. Jesus's. Yes, the Holy Force kid was kept in a town called, Cal- well, we know this, Calcutta, near Rome, and disappeared in 1983. Who would steal Jesus's foreskin? Jesus's foreskin. I don't know. That's really That's weird. one, like, I'm not even that fucked up. <laughs> um, Ocean's Nine? Oh, that would be so cool. Oh, oh, there are other places. Oh my gosh. There are some places that claim to have all of Jesus's penis. I'm just saying. Well, we know where our next vacation is. Oh my god. BuzzFeed has 11 seriously weird facts about Jesus's foreskin. BuzzFeed, y'all have problems. I'm just saying. How can there be... Anyway, that's something for another time. (laughs) 
Also, Grigory Rasputin's dick is on display at the Museum of Erotics, and some people consider it to be a relic. I didn't know Rasputin was a saint. It's He's not, but some people consider him to be the purveyor of miracles. Why is it that so. I just imagine Rasputin's penis is probably really pointy? It says that it's really big. Anyway. <laughs> Continuing on. Continuing on with Matilda. Yeah, I'm just saying... Joffrey at this time was only 13 and <laughs> Matilda talking about. All right. Matilda was about 23. Still ew. So the marriage took place in June of 1128. This joining was not well received because Joffrey was French and the barons did not consent to the marriage. So, right, cuz he was like an enemy of the Anjou. Mhm. So, yeah, no good. So they didn't want him there. Mhm. Matilda herself and Joffrey were reported to not have gotten along very well together. Yeah. Well, he was 13 and she was 23. Well, even as he got older, though, they would fight and separate for a long time and then they'd get back together and make up. Well, I mean, at then... least for the first, like, five or six years of their marriage, he was a snotty teenage boy, so I probably wouldn't have liked him much either. And True. Part of the dispute was over the dowry and which castles in Normandy would be inherited. Mm-hmm. because why not fight over shit like that? Because it's a political marriage that stuff's in the details. Her whole entire life after this point is going to be one big clusterfuck of fighting over castles, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yep. Man, I wish I was fancy enough to fight over castles. I will fight you over a white castle. I, you can have it. I fucking hate white castles. <laughs> <laughs> even nasty. Yeah, about the separations, they were briefly separated in 1131. Or sorry, they were briefly separated but got back together in 1131. He's just trying so hard to keep us on track. He's like, will you two shut up? Uh-huh. <laughs> I gotta keep going with this. All right, keep going. So, Matilda gave birth to their son. Guess Henry! the name. You were supposed to guess the name. Oh, sorry. Uh, Henry? Yes. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> I'm sorry. I am getting so sick of this nobility not being able to come up with better names. Well, to be Imagine fair, there's only been books. one King Henry in England so far. So. I don't care. There's been like five Henrys already and like 5,000 Matildas and like six Joffreys. Those numbers were totally not accurate, but still. But they knew how to spell the names. So, But that's not true either because we see a lot of different spellings of the same name over and over again. Yeah, spelling wasn't really standardized, <laughs> no. standardized at this time. No. Imagine their baby name books. It's not really a book, more just like a list. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it, it's, it's just like one sheet that has five names. And they're like, pick one. <laughs> You're probably right. They, they put Henry in a hat five times. Yep. And they say, draw one out. Oh, look, it's Henry. Well, they've got like Shaka. three. They put three names in the hat. So there's at least some chance that it won't be the same name as the father. The birth was supposedly very difficult for Matilda, mm -hmm. and it was speculated that she would not survive. And there was even talk of who would inherit after that. But, but Matilda's survived. a badass. <laughs> She's a badass. She is a badass. Oh, by the way, I found my, my yellow kazoos, y'all. I found them. Okay, back to Matilda. <laughs> so Henry the first died. Shocker. In 1135. So it's also rumored that he may have wavered on who he wanted to receive the crown next. See, that's not what I got at all. I got that she still was supposed to and that Henry had still said that she was supposed to. And it was after, and after he died, the barons were like, how about no? Because how dare a woman rule? And that's exactly why there had never been a woman on the throne, but also because they didn't 
like her. I actually have a quote if you want to hear a quote about what they thought about her. So this comes from a book called The Justice Stefani, which is basically the history of Stefan, who's going to Stefan, who Michael's about to talk to talk about a little bit, I think. At least you better. But they said about her, she at once put on an extremely arrogant demeanor instead of the modest gait and bearing proper to the gentle sex. Fuck that. <laughs> Fuck that. I will stride if I want. That's not part of the quote. No, it's not. It should be. Began to walk and speak and do things more stiffly and more hotly than she had been wont. W-O-N-T. To such a point that soon in the capital of the land subject to her, she actually made herself queen of all England and gloried in being called. Oh, how dare she? How dare she? How dare she do the thing that was her fucking right? I'm sorry. Right? I know. Well, apparently Ah. Stephen Bloy? Stephen Bloy. Stephen Bloy? Bless you. Grandson (laughs) of William the Conqueror. Thought the same as well. So Good. He, so he no, he no, he up. thought that Maud should not have. Oh the fuck! I thought you were saying that she. He thought she should. No, yeah. he thought she didn't. Well, fuck you, Stefan. So he. Stefan, not Stefan. It's not spelled with an A. I got like a lecture about this earlier. It's Stefan. He made his claim for the throne, and he was actually the first one to London. Yep. And the Londoners declared Stephen king. I like how he just says Stephen. <laughs> It's not Stephen. It really, it's not Stephen. Well, I put that in there because it was King. Stephen King. He thinks he's funny. Womp womp. Michael, I'm the comedic relief here. Come on. Matilda actually wouldn't make a move for the throne until four years later in 1139. Matilda herself was backed up by her half-brother Robert of Gloucester and her uncle, the Scottish King David I. Yay, Scotland! Finally, a different name. Which, this is why political marriages exist. Is so, when you get in fights with your other family, you have other family to back you up. And access to their money and armies and influence and everything. I mean, I'm down with just having a family reunion where everybody gets together and is super passive-aggressive and maybe throws food at each other and then you don't talk to each other for another year, but... That is our family reunion. Exactly. Yeah, that that's what I'm all for. But you do you, Matilda. And she did. Oh, she did. She was, she was amazing. In September of that same year, Matilda and Robert landed in Andurl and she was besieged in a castle for a short time before Stefan allowed her to join Stephen. her brother. Before <laughs> Stefan allowed her to join her brother. But Stefan just sounds more fancy. But in the summer of 1141, Stefan... Stefan. Stefan <laughs> had been defeated... I've gotten into his brain. ...had been defeated and captured at Bristol and imprisoned in Lincoln. Matilda herself was also captured at Devzies. <laughs> Devzies. Davies. I like his pronunciation of shit. It makes me laugh. I know. And Danielle's going to tell us about her time at Davies. So let me tell you a little bit first about where that is. So we've talked to... Good, because several, I have no idea. I know. We've talked several times about kings being in Winchester. And I think most people are aware, at least some people are aware, that London is on the far east of England. It's not very, very far up. It's not right on the coast but not too far north of the coast. It's a less than a day trip if you want to go from London to the south coast. Anyway, Winchester is south 
west of London, really close to the coast, and Devis is northwest of Winchester. So really, if you were in London and you headed west and slightly headed south just a titch, you'd be to Devis in eh, like a day or so. This castle was technically owned by a bishop, but Matilda and her force had been using it as a fortress during all this fighting. So here's what happened. Stefan actually got captured. Robert of Gloucester got captured. And Queen Matilda, because why not have a Queen Matilda still going on who's married to Stefan, takes over and has forces coming to surround Empress Matilda's castle. Negotiations with her were not going very well. And Empress Matilda was in trouble. She understood she was in trouble. Robert and Stefan were actually exchanged for each other in November of 1141. But she ended up having to escape the Devies castle because Queen Matilda's forces were still out there besieging it. The castle staff spread word that a servant died. And then Maud dressed up in burial cloth and a shroud. And her male attendants strapped her to the top of a bier and carried her out to her uncle Gloucester up in Gloucester, which was a few hours away. Let's see. It was about, eh, it's about 22 miles east of Bath and about. (laughs) I'm sorry. This sounds like Mission Impossible shit. It's so true. It is. It totally is. It totally is. It's about 15 miles north by northwest of Stonehenge, too, for those of you who are familiar with that area. They took her on this beer all the way to Gloucester, and she was safe for now. Not for long. She wrapped as a dead body the whole way? Yeah, the whole entire way. She was wrapped in her shroud. Nobody knew it was her. Pretty fucking Again. badass. Yeah. Your yeah. mission, if you choose to accept it, is to disguise yourself as a dead body and we're going to carry you for like three days. You know what? No, it wouldn't have been three days. At least she like got it was about to a day trip. and shit. On yeah. a beer, Easiest... which is not what you think it is initially. B-I-E-R, yeah. Easiest, e- easiest escape ever. No, it would have no. been pretty but you shitty. Got, she probably just got to sleep on it the whole time, so that was probably nice. Yeah, but I'm just like, I wouldn't want to be the guys carrying it. I wouldn't want to be her all wrapped up in it because she kept that disguise the entire time but pretty... she starts sleeping so they have to kind of elbow her right but pretty fucking cool and dead bodies don't snore i mean this was her idea this shows you how incredibly intelligent and just how much stamina she had how much desire she had to get this shit done it's just really fantastic after her <laughs> escape the following year a clerical council named her lady of the english and amanda is going to tell us a little bit about the meaning of that name. Matilda was never referred to as a queen. Matilda was usually referred to as the Lady of the English. The Britons at this time had no tradition of having a queen. It was just that you were the king's wife. The king's king's wife was traditionally called Lady, a tradition that was started by King Athelred the Unready and Emma of Normandy. There is no record that Matilda ever even used the title of queen. And she may have only been seen as a regent until her son Henry was crowned as King Henry II. It was Matilda herself 
who had chosen the title Lady of England after the Anglo-Saxon tradition of it. But she was always referred to as an empress because, as Danielle said earlier, she was married to the to, emperor. To the oh, emperor, yeah. so it was empress, but she was also referred to Lady of the English, but you never heard her referred to as a queen. Yep. Which is really interesting because when you look back through the records people wrote after this point in time, they always refer to the king's wife as queen. Even though at that time they weren't called that, that's how they are referred to out of respect after the fact. Well, and that's the thing is, it's it feels like it's just another big fuck you to yeah. women at the time. Yep. Even if you're married to the goddamn king, you still don't really deserve a title. But to be fair, though, the queens of England have never, almost never had a king for a husband. Her Royal Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, her husband is Prince yeah. Philip. And... Queen Elizabeth I never had a marriage at all, and Victoria's husband Albert was Prince Albert, but we'll get to why that is way down the road. But it's, it's a wee bit away. It sounds weird, but it's actually an equality thing. Yeah. They it is equal. The men were not coronated as kings and the women were not necessarily coronated as ruling queens, but eventually they would get called queens, even though the men would still be princes. So I kinda like that. So as Lady of the English she gained access to the royal coffers and headed to London for coronation and anointment. While there, she began raising taxes and taking privileges away from the nobles. During this time, she was described as arrogant and fiery. Mm. So much that the Londoners grew sick of her shenanigans and she was forced to leave London and flee to Oxford without ever officially being crowned. Yep. And then she basically became a captive at Oxford Castle, too. So in the summer of 1142, Stefan settled in for a siege, a long-ass siege, because Oxford Castle was really well built. It was really difficult to get in there, and a siege was the only way to maybe possibly do anything. By this point, he just wanted Maud the fuck out of there. Her her people, her troops, they're getting pretty downhearted. They're starting to go hungry. By wintertime, things were really, really super bleak. And she realized she needed to get out of there because if she got out of there, the siege would end and save the people who were there with her. So yet again, she and her attendants came up with an absolutely badass plan. In the middle of a really big winter storm, Matilda was lowered by ropes from the castle walls. And she and her attendants put on white capes in order to hide in all the snow. And she went ice skating across the Thames because Oxford Castle is built right on the coast of the Thames. And for those who aren't aware, Oxford is northwest of London by about 69 miles or so. 69, dude. <laughs> nice. And but yeah, so she she skates across the goddamn Thames in the middle of winter. Like, she's really lucky it was frozen because it doesn't always freeze in the winter. And in this thick, snowy, bitter cold, she rode to the town of Wallingford. And they took her in and they helped her hide. And Wallingford is also northwest of London. So, so you're saying that if I'm ever captured, I need to learn how to ice skate. And how to fake your own death. Well, I've done that before. And you need to make white capes. At least one of those times have a really nice half-brother in Gloucester who will take you in. We don't have any half-brothers. That we know of. Fair. All right. Eventually, Matilda settled in Normandy in 1148, 
Her son Henry became Duke of Normandy in 1150 and continued the campaign in England and eventually transitioned to King Henry II in 1154. Hold on, you can't just throw it out there. That's the, There's more to Matilda's story. She's responsible for that. Go on. So eventually Matilda was like, fine, I'm tired of fighting too. How about this? How about you agree that my son will be the king after you and I will stop? And Stefan was like, okay, that's totally fine because I don't have any kids. And a year later, he was dead. Well, that was convenient. Right? Yeah, it was not at all an accident. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Matilda's like, I got what I want. Die, bitch. No. Well, she was, she was satisfied. You know, she realized she was never going to actually take the throne herself. There was just too much back and forth. But having the promise that her son would secure the throne... For her, that was good enough because her son was her world. Everything she was doing was more for him than it was for herself. So I get that. I get that. And Matilda was still doing a lot of governing. Yep. She in Normandy, saw yeah. a lot of administrative tasks. She acted a lot as Henry's representative, issued charters, settled land disputes, crafted policy, and even helped to settle several diplomatic crises. She was really made for this role. Yeah, she was brilliant. Unfortunately, well, I shouldn't say unfortunately. Fortunately for her, but unfortunately for our show, the only death thing that's really interesting was when she faked a death because she actually died of natural causes at the age of 65. On the 10th of September of 1167, she was buried under the high altar at the Abbey of Becquelun, in France, and she has a really, really sweet engraving on her tomb that I really like, except it kind of bothers me because it gives absolutely no indication of what a fucking badass she really was. It says, here lies Henry's daughter, mother, wife, great in all three, her son, the glory of her life. So really, it's just celebrating all the men she was connected to. Yeah, that's just like, she was great because of the men in her life. But I have to say, ending it with her son, the glory of her life, I like that. As a mom, I think that if my tomb said something about how my kids were my number one reason for everything I did, that would be okay. That is Matilda. If you would like to send us ideas of really cool deaths or health histories of leaders... You can email us at monarchsandmalarkey, all one word, at gmail.com. We are on the social medias. We are. We have a new Instagram page. If you want to follow us, it is. you can just search the hashtag monarchsandmalarkey. We're also under the name monolarkey. Monarchlarkey. Well, Not want just to monolarkey. monolarkey. Can you spell it for them? M-O-N-A-L-A-R-K-E-Y. Or you can just search monarchsandmalarkey. Um, we'll have some great teasers for upcoming episodes and other such things on there. We're also on Twitter at Monarch Malarkey and on Facebook. We have a main page, Monarchs and Malarkey, but if you send us a request, we will add you to our discussion group, Peasants Revolt. <laughs> what else are peasants good for? Ouch. Killing kings? That, eventually. Was, that was like once. All right, so thanks for listening, and many thanks to Jay Gelter for the music and Mark Gelter for the artwork. Catch you on the flip side, peasants.